So why MPI instead of grid? That's one of the, one of the questions that's, that's come up. To illustrate this, I wanted to think of someone um, relevant to the mathematical world who started a company, say Stefan Wolfram as pictured on the slide here. And so let's say he wanted to start a company. He needs to be able to talk to his employees to be able to ask them to do things and then have the employees talk, talk back to him to like report what happened or to be able to report on sales and so forth. So in order for him to be able to talk to his employees, he buys a cell phone, but then he also needs to buy cell phones for all his employees. Well, if you were to implement this, implement this communications between the employees and the head of the company, the way that a typical grid implementation would be, uh, you would have a configuration like this, where you have all the communications from all the employees would only be able to talk to the master or the boss. And, and so if you have this kind of communications pattern, any communications that goes on is only to the boss and then the boss back out to, to all the other employees. And you would have a very unhappy boss because, because of all this consternation, all this bottleneck, all this, uh, all this um, kind of conflict right at, at, at the boss's cell phone. And you wouldn't have a very well-running company. So our approach is the MPI approach, where instead you have set up a communications pattern between all, or communications routes between all of the employees. So this allows any employee to be able to call any other employee so that you don't have this bottleneck, you don't have this congestion over at, um, on the boss's cell phone. You have communications between all the possible employees uh, within, uh, within the company. So this is the kind of model that we, uh, that that we espouse, that this is the kind of model that uh, we uh, create using Mathematica kernels and MPI. Just giving an introduction of what it means to code an MPI, to be able to write uh, algorithms within MPI, is that basically this is code that, that coordinates parallel work using messages. You have n tasks or virtual, or, or virtual processors, all running at the same time, and you label them from 0 through n minus 1. And so they use this identification data, the 0 through n minus 1, to be, to be able to identify what parts of the problem that uh, they're going to work on. So if, let's say, you have a four processors and uh, 0, 1, 2, 3, 0, 1, 2, 3, and you have 100 parts, well, you assign, say, the 1 through 125 parts to processor 0, or, or 20, 26 through 50 to processor number 1, and so forth. And so you can use this to be able to identify programmatically uh, what part of the problem each processor is going to work on. And so then the, the tasks or the, the, these processors, or in the case of Mathematica, these kernels, can talk to each other and talk amongst themselves to be able to organize how they're going to uh, handle their data and do their work. And then any group of tasks communicate. So you can have simple sends and receives or collective calls like broadcast, gather, reduce, or do transposes of data in between um, all, the, all the kernels. And so, and also synchronization is not required. Uh, you don't have to have lockstep synchronization in between all the kernels, but it is implied by the messaging that if there is a dependency of a message from one kernel to the other, then there will be a synchronization to that extent. But there's nothing that has to be lockstep in between the different parts of the cluster in order to operate. So, to give you a couple ideas of, to give you an idea of what. Uh, kinds of problems and how you would approach parallelization of um, classic types of problems. Let's first consider the game of life. This is an example of cellular autonoma. This is something that is very well known within the Mathematica and, and the Wolfram universe. Um, is it, it's an example where you have one cell that evolves uh, based on the pattern of cells around it. 
by recognizing the fact that there's this interdependency in between different parts of the problem, you can recognize that that's, that's the kind of communication that's inherently going on in this problem, is that this is a, this allows you to recognize that really actually, from one time step to the next time step in the game of life, that one cell is influencing only its neighboring cell and no other. So that's the extent of communication as, as shown by the orange arrows in, in the slide. And so if we take this problem and say cut it up into three different parts, we can, say, we can see that there's a certain amount of messages that are crossing the, from one part of the problem, from one partition over the edge into the other and back and forth. And we can see that there's a lot of communication that goes on within a partition. So we can handle the communication within the partition the same way we did before. But for the communication going on from partition to partition, that translates into a message from one partition to the other. And so by recognizing that, we can take all the data from one edge of the problem space and bin it up together and send that message from uh, one edge of the problem space to the other. And so this fills in these regions that we call in, in, in parallel computing guard cells that allows you to do the computation part of the problem as if uh, there was no communication going on and then have a whole separate subroutine to be able to actually do the communication to be able to maintain these edge cells or guard cells uh, that uh, represent, the represent copies of the data from your neighboring partition. So, we can apply this to other kinds of problems, such as, say, a plasma simulation. This is something that has been uh, gotten over in, in the literature quite a bit, most recently in the computational physics communications by my colleagues Victor Desick and Charles Norton um, of UCLA and JPL correspondingly. In a plasma is that you have uh, many charged particles all interacting with each other uh, through um, electrostatics or electromagnetics, depending on the, the question that you want to answer. And so if you want to do, look at message passing, well, you need to look at what's the, what's the communication that's going on that's inherent in this problem. Well, if you consider the particle movement, all these particles are all moving and, and pushing on each other. If you can think of the particle movement uh, as if you wanted to put this on a computer, that particle movement represents a certain kind of communications, a corresponds to a certain kind of communications going on uh, in the computer, in the cluster. So when you take this problem and say partition it into uh, say three different parts, so you can recognize that, well, the particles that are moving within one partition, well, we can do the same thing as if it was a single processor, but for everything that's crossing over from partition to partition, well, we're going to have to use mess message passing. And so when we pull this apart, we can recognize that, well, there are certain particles that will jump from one to the other, and so what you can actually do when you actually implement this is that you consider the particles, okay, here's a whole bunch of particles that are now to my, that are supposed to go to my right neighbor, and so, and then there are a whole bunch of particles that come from my right neighbor. Uh, and so, and then the same thing for the left neighbor is that I, I send a whole bunch of, I determine what particles are, belong to my left neighbor, and then my left neighbor provides me particles that now belong to me. And so this is how you can organize uh, a problem like this that has a lot of complex interactions, but you can isolate it down, you can isolate where the message passing is really important. So those are examples of what I would call nearest neighbor message passing. But there are a whole variety of message passing patterns that are supported using MPI. Of course, this includes the master-slave model where one is talking to many or time reverse that and one is gathering from many. Or you can have, say, an all-to-all -all communications pattern where all are sending to all the others. This is important, uh, this is vital to be able to do, say, a Fourier transform. And a Fourier transform, what that comes down to is basically a transpose operation on the entire array of cells that are distributed across the 
cluster. And so you, in order to be able to manipulate that, in order to be able to accomplish this communication, you have to uh, send messages from every node to all the others, in, but in a pattern of, of as if you transposed a matrix. Or you can have, say, a tree pattern, where in this case it's a binary tree, where one is sending to a pair and each one is sending to a pair and so forth. Or some irregular pattern or any combination of these kinds of patterns are possible all using MPI. So MPI really provides a lot of flexibility, and this, this has been proven by how many different kinds of problems have been, have been implemented using MPI on, this, on supercomputers. So we're taking that, we're recognizing that same flexibility that has been expressed on, on the supercomputers and, uh, and representing that or, and applying that within the Mathematica environment as well. So to give you an idea of what this looks like, I'd like to uh, give you a demonstration.